Happiness is an inside job. At Happy Healthy You, Connie Bowman helps us find our way with inspiring conversations and healthy ideas for living a whole life in mind, body, and spirit. Happy Healthy You, and now here's Connie. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. I'm Connie Bowman, your host. Thank you so much for listening. I love that I have longtime listeners like you and new listeners like you. Yeah, I'm talking to everybody. So whether you're new or you've been around for a long time, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And thank you also for supporting Blue Planet Eyewear. It's our new sponsor. And I love them because they're eco-friendly. They're socially responsible. They make really cute, really, uh, just really cute sunglasses and readers for men, women, and kids. And every single pair sold gives a pair of glasses to a person in need. Uh, through their Visualize Change program. So go to their website if you have a chance and if you're in the market for readers or sunglasses, blueplaneteyewear.com, and you can use our special Happy Healthy You discount code CONNIE20. Okay, that's it. I'm done with that. But I really do like Blue Planet, so I had to get that out there um, first. And I also want to give a shout out to Maisha McAllister. Um, I was at – you guys know I have two loves um, – aside from my family and, you know, God and all that important stuff, yoga and my acting career. Those are kind of my two fun things that I do in life, my joy. And I went to a film festival this past weekend with my sister. Shout out to Sally. I love you, Sally. She's the best. She went with me to support me, and um, we had a really good time. But while we were there, she told me about a good friend of hers, a fellow yogi, Maisha McAllister, who started teaching yoga in Baltimore City. And she's teaching children. And she to just this morning, I read a post, and she, she's been uh, sort of posting on Facebook about her journey with these kids in um, these really um, challenging situa- life situations, right? So she this morning, she posted that one of the children, um, their mom had died the week before. Um, one of the children in her class had been evicted and was living in a hotel, And another one she described as a pacer just had so much going on in their head and their little bodies that they just couldn't settle down, so they would pace back and forth. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what a gift, this woman, Maisha. Thank you so much. I can't wait to meet you. We haven't even met, but I feel like I know you. What a great gift she's giving these children in um, these situations, you know, that most of us can only imagine. Um, She's giving them the gift of mindfulness and the gift of yoga. So thank you for that. And that is a natural little segue to my guest today. I'm so happy to have Lori Cameron back on the podcast. She's been on before. She is so many things, but she's the founder and CEO of Purpose Blue, an organization that brings evidence-based mindful leadership programs to companies, change makers, culture shifters, universities, and federal agencies. And she has a new book out. You guys, I'm so excited Oh, to have her here to talk about her new book, The Mindful Day, Practical Ways to Find Focus, Calm, and Joy from Morning Till Evening. Hi, Lori. Thank you Hi, for coming Connie. back. It's so nice to come home to your <laughs> studio and be with you again. Yeah, we've had some good times on yes, the podcast we have. before. We have. 
Ah, so um, I'm excited about your book. You have it, you, you're publishing with National Geographic. Tell me all about how that came about because oh, we have a lot of catching up to do here. I know. It's so exciting. I'm, I'm so honored to be with such a, uh, a, you know, an old brand, you know, that's so beloved yeah. uh, in the U.S. and around the world. And, you know, it's one of those early brands that I knew as a little kid. You know, I knew National Geographic and Disney. And yeah. it's just so um, wonderful to be with them and have their support and help and encouragement. And it's interesting. A lot of people say, they ask me, National Geographic is doing a, you know, the ultimate guide to mindfulness why are they doing that? You yeah. know, I thought they were into like exploring the seas. And um, what's what's wonderful is that National Geographic has always been on the frontier of of exploration of all new mm-hmm. um, new edges, new new frontiers in science. And they really wanted a um, rigorously researched book on the science of mindfulness and compassion. And they didn't want it necessarily from an academic or, you know, a monk or nun in a monastery. They wanted it from just a regular person who's has a long time mindfulness practice, but who, you know, is living and, you know, out with the rest of us, who, um, you know, is raising a family, you know, making school lunches in the morning, um, working in the business world so that I could filter the teachings and science of mindfulness through the lens of modern everyday living. So that's the point of the book. Very cool. So did you know someone there? Did they just find you because of all your extensive teaching? And My editor, Hilary Black, one of the, the senior editors there in their books division, she had the vision for a book on mindfulness. And uh, she spoke to a number of different people and said, I'm, I'm looking for someone. I'm looking for the right person to do this. And Someone recommended me, and uh, we had a great conversation, and I developed a book proposal, and here we are. I love the idea of the mindful day. Just, I mean, there have been so many books written on mindfulness, but I'm all about the practicality of this thing because, uh, can I just tell you? Can I just, like, unload a little bit? Just tell me. (laughs) So um, I went to bed pretty early last night. I had taught a yoga class, and I was kind of tired, so I just took a bath, and I got in bed and started reading, and I'm like, I'm going to go to bed. It was like 9.30. That never happens. But anyway, I went to sleep, 3 o'clock in the morning, and boom, I'm wide awake. (laughs) Wide awake. And I have been sort of feeling a little bit like a fraud because I teach mindfulness and yoga and I don't have a regular practice. I'm I'm sort of haphazard about it. So I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and I, I don't know if I ever told you, but I did the 10-day silent Vipassana, Vipassana uh, retreat, the Buddhist you retreat. Didn't. I uh, Okay. So that's happened. Great, Connie. <laughs> so anyway, as you know, in that retreat, you get up at four in the morning and yeah. you meditate for two hours and then you have breakfast and you like, it's all day meditation. So right. I have that in my mind that not that I'm going to go back to that, but I want an early morning practice. And so anyway, I got up at three and, um, you know, kind of putzed around a little bit and then I sat and I... I had the hardest time getting into my practice. It took me a good 20 minutes before I settled in. And I thought, I am really out of practice. I started chastising myself and doing, you know, being unkind to myself. And so I love this idea that you have brought practical ways 
to to as your subtitle says to find focus calm and joy from morning to evening because that's what i need doggone it i need the practical i need you to just yeah. tell me what i need to do you know i i so appreciate that all of that the waking up um the idea to sit and and take a crack at it right to create mm-hmm. some space and just show up and i think first of all i want to applaud you for that thank you just sitting there i mean for 20 minutes you hung in there and maybe it sounds like then you kind of got into kind of a space where you felt okay or... Yeah, it took a good 20 yeah, minutes. Yeah, so. and that's okay. Because yeah. there's no... Um, you know, I think sometimes we we grade ourselves. You know, did I do it well? Do I get an A on meditation today? Do I get a D? Did I fail it? Did I not do it at all? Right. And one of the things we're learning, which is very different than how we're conditioned in our society, is to not to not judge ourselves and to not judge others. But to just show up with a kind, gentle awareness. So I just want to applaud you for that. And then the other piece is um, for many of us, both seasoned mindfulness and meditation practitioners and people that are brand new, we, we, have, we, we have a belief. We have very busy, very scheduled lives. We're very committed to many projects. And we think, I just cannot fit one more thing into the day. So this book was written to introduce mindfulness practices and tools and micro practices and small slivers of um, ways to come into your body or to come into your heart in the day that you already have. I love it. I love it. I just want to start here. I, I took a quote from your book and it reads, Mindfulness is the first step in releasing pain points, navigating complexity, and planting seeds for greater collaboration. And I wonder if we can kind of start there and begin picking that apart. So the first step in releasing pain points. Can we start there? So, How does that work? Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I think this quote, if I remember, might come from the section on work. Okay. Um, because I was we're, thinking about but it. But it works. That quote works in any part of our life. Well, I was thinking about points. those children, those, yeah. those children that um, Maisha is working with in Baltimore City. Yeah. And I'm thinking about how she she's really healing um, these children with mindfulness and yoga. And, and I, I don't know, it's kind of stood out to me it, in the, to start Absolutely. With. And that's why I love, I actually love that you pulled that quote out because hearing it by itself like that actually brought up a lot of different things. Um, so, our pain points, whether they're physical pain or emotional pain, both are stored in the body. Emotional pain is imprinted in our tissues. There's a great body of work on that. And when we, mindfulness step one helps us uh, cultivate awareness of our conditioning and our pain and even our trauma that we're holding on to, that we're often acting out of. We be, We behave from our pain and suffering. We move towards certain things, we move away from certain things, we're irritable in certain moments, where we constrict or we play it small in others, all from our past pains. Um, so mindfulness helps us recognize and see these pain points and then meet them with compassion. Mm-hmm. And when we learn to be compassionate with ourselves, and I have a, a really lovely three-step process for that, um, then only then we start to release that and then we can connect with others better. So that's that, that precursor to collaboration is being okay with yourself. Mm-hmm. 
So if I'm peaceful in myself, I'm more confident, I can connect with you, I can hear your ideas, I can let go of needing to be right, I can serve, whether it's in the school system or in a religious organization or on, on the homeless you know, streets in D.C., that's where I can serve from when I'm, when I'm okay. So releasing these pain points, I know just from my personal experience, uh, with the, in the Vipassana uh, uh, practice, the 10-day the uh, retreat that I went on, um, the first couple of days were the hardest, and that's what they, they told us, that that was where we were actually releasing, like, some deep, deep wounds or, that's you right. know, or, or actually that was the beginning where the, the little stuff that was more on the surface came up, right? And yeah. then as you get later on in the practice, it, it so... Um, yeah, and and I'm sure in this book you have much more research on how that actually works, and um, we probably don't have time to go into that now, but it's pretty fascinating, actually. Um, Thomas Keating ta- ca- calls it divine therapy, this oh, just sitting, sitting with you know contemplation, and I'm sure you studied with Thich Nhat Hanh. I'm sure yeah. he has he has some um, words that he uses to describe. Um, the same healing yeah effects. that healing and releasing and letting go and um i wanted to to comment on a couple things you talked about this this vipassana vipassana retreat and and at the heart of uh those type of retreats is um is being able to access insight so that's an insight meditation mm-hmm. tradition and insight is what i was referring to when we sit quietly and sit with ourselves and we start to access that inner wisdom Mm -hmm. and insight is about that aha or that epiphany or that discovery of oh wow i'm really hurting here in this area or i'm really feeling lonely Um, we each have different patterns for some of us we tend to feel overwhelmed all the time for others we feel isolated or alone Um, some of us tend to feel um, not good enough or not enough so when we sit with ourselves we gain more insight, and then we can meet that with loving kindness. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I, you mentioned that I just love and want to call out is that it takes a few days to settle in, to kind of drop below the surface of the choppy waves. And that is why I call my company Purpose Blue. So the blue in the Purpose Blue is about um, the deep blue, the calm blue beneath the surface that. When we sit and either, you know, it could be a minute, it could be walking in the woods, it could be different ways that we access that depth of calmness, that place of peace and stillness that we all have inside. When we drop below that, that's the, that's the beautiful reward. That is the divine therapy. Mm. And um, we just need to give ourselves time. So when I was thinking about you this in the middle of the night, in the 20 minutes um, where you were, it was still choppy. I was just imagining you, you know, on the surface of the ocean. It just took, it was maybe a lot of turbulence, maybe a lot of thoughts are in your mind right now or things going on. And we just, you know, we're just there with patience and kindness while we ride those waves. And then as we bring this kind attention to our breath and our body and our hearts, we slowly start to to quiet and access the stillness. Beautiful. So thank you for talking about that, the releasing the pain points. Uh, The second part of this triad that you have here is navigating complexity. And um, that seems like that would apply to not only us personally, but um, 
the business world where you spend so much time training and, and helping people yeah. with mindfulness. Um, absolutely. And, you know, the military actually came up with a handy acronym called VUCA. You know, they say it's a VUCA world. It's volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And, you know, I think that's a really uh, useful phrase because we can acknowledge that things are really volatile. They're very turbulent and they're very uncertain. So um, we can't predict forward very far like we used to be able to. We just can't. And we can see that on the nightly news and we can see yeah. it around the conference table. And then this complexity that you're speaking about comes out of that uncertainty and volatility and the fact that we're all connected. You know, it's such a global world and a global market that a move in one industry or one geography ripples through to the others. So to be in business these days requires a whole different level of, of competency and capacity. It used to be more, um, you know, if I learn the right strategies and I can articulate a vision and I have the right, you know, blueprint and roadmap for success. It was more like, what are the deliverables and things I need to do out there? And now um, what we find is that it really comes down to the agility of the individual human being. Mm -hmm. Like we as people need to be instruments of flexibility, emotional awareness, um, self-awareness, um, compassion for all the stakeholders and the value chain of our business. That's called conscious capitalism or conscious leadership. So we're seeing a real shift in the mindsets of leaders who thrive in, in the complex, uh, complex world today and in their capacity to be aware of themselves and others. Hmm. It's like a real-time dynamic now. You can't sit in the back. You can't have a strategic offsite and do a five-year roadmap nowadays. You have to be on it, you know, sensing what's happening in the ecosystem minute by minute, day by day. So it sounds to me like empathy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I spent a, the last two days with a group of leaders in Northern Virginia, and we spent a lot of time talking about empathy because empathy is an innate capacity. We're all born with that right out of the box, but it can be strengthened and cultivated. This is our ability to sense the experience of another human being while maintaining our own discernment, you know, our own sense of self and our own sense of who we are, you know, not getting swept up and swept away in emotions. And so this mindfulness really helps with that. The part of the brain that's trained and strengthened with mindfulness meditation, particularly the body scan is the same part of the brain, that's the insula, that's strengthened and that, that's related to our ability to be empathetic. Right. Taking the insula to the gym is what we did yesterday. Oh, and, um, and what's so cool about that is when Google did a study of all their teams and looked at their most highest performing teams, and they had all these theories about what made you know their, their top team successful, what they found is the number one thing that made their team successful was psychological safety. And that is the degree to which leaders and the members of the team create conditions for people to be able to be vulnerable and to take risk mm -hmm. and to experiment and to fail. And empathy and, and being conscious and mindful and present and tuned into others with compassion is the, is the how. 
That's how you create psychological safety. And when you said that, I just it just called to mind for me the all the hallmarks of a really healthy family system. Oh. Right? Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, how, how, how great would it be if we have, you know, the, all that, those, um, those safety nets in place so that uh, we can take, take yes. healthy risks and I'm not talking about unhealthy risks, but, you know, Absolutely. take a little bit of risk and, and have, and try. you know, try and, and it's okay if we fail, right? Yes. So, Gosh, yeah. I love that you brought that up. And I've shared that study in a number of companies and organizations and, Maybe people were thinking what you were thinking. They haven't said it out loud. And it just really struck me because I'm so aware of that there are family systems where kids are afraid to fail and where kids are, or if they do try and they miss the mark set by the parents, there's really strong repercussions. And in our area here in the Washington, D.C. area, I'm, I'm very tuned in to the stress and the teenage anxiety that mm -hmm. is just an epidemic. It's actually across the U.S., but we can really feel it here. And I think about what, what would it be like if these kids were nurtured in psychologically safe families? Mm -hmm. That sure. would be, we, we'd, be, we'd be experiencing something quite different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the final of this, this three that you talk about, um, what is mindfulness? Uh, planting seeds for greater collaboration. How does mindfulness allow us to plant seeds for greater collaboration? So mindfulness involves a set of skills and a set of mindsets. So a lot of people think, okay, mindfulness is about focusing attention. Mm -hmm. And it is. It's about paying attention with intention, on purpose, in the present moment, without judgment. So that's, you know, that's mindfulness. Um, but this without judgment piece is big. And that really means with an open mind, with an open, curious mind. And that is not easy. If you think about when you're listening to a family member or um, a colleague from a different function or even someone on your team, often we are not always fully listening with openness and curiosity. We're sort of comparing what they're saying to the way we see it or to our ideas or to what we know. Running it through the filters. Yeah, right? we're yeah. running it through the filters, and that's often unconscious. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to cultivate an open and curious mind. And when we can do that, and there's another mindset shift here, shifting from I or me to we, or as Dr. Dan Siegel says, um, to me, M-W-E, he calls oh, that's it. that's cool. Um, when we can have that kind of an orientation to being in a brainstorming meeting, then we are, we're, we're planting the seeds. We're, we're preparing the ground for collaboration. Because if I see all the ideas bubbling up on the flip chart as our ideas, then I'm not going to kind of be stuck and clinging on to my idea. Mm -hmm. I don't need to win. I don't need to be right. I don't need to get the glory. I'm looking for the best outcome for the team or the company. And that gives us more joy anyway, right? Exactly. What? Really? We, I mean, right. it's no fun to just fight against each other and push back no. and forth. I mean, you know, that's kind of our habitual way of living here in the West. But I, it's so gratifying to have a collaboration and to work together. You know, like here we sit trying to put this podcast together, you know, for the good of all and for, you know, the, so that people can read your book and find out more about your work in the world. And, you know, we have this one goal and we're collaborating together. And yeah. 
It's so much fun. It's I just love so sitting here. It's so fun. I mean, if, imagine if, if I had my agenda and you had your agenda, we'd never get sh- any shit done. No. <laughs> no. And, and, you know, I think people start to – one of the things I always say with when I'm teaching and coaching and mindfulness and compassion is don't take it from me. You know, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I don't want you to buy into anything. You know, I want you to experiment. Mm-hmm. I told this um, group of leaders yesterday, you're the scientist and you're the subject. So we're going to do a bunch of things. And you check in with your felt sense, your direct experience. That's what mindfulness is while you're doing it. And then you decide what you want to do after this after this uh, leadership program. So that's the same. It's really the same um, point that you're making is that it's more fun. I think. And when people try collaboration instead of my way, or when they try being compassionate instead of being uh, judgmental, they'll find that, and the science backs it up, that it's actually more gratifying. Mm. Yeah. Well, as Brene Brown says from all her extensive research, we are hardwired for connection, right? So just working together gives us that connection and, and that makes us happy. So that's what I'm all about. Let's just Let's just be happy. <laughs> I know. Cut to the chase and let's just and do it. Let's work together. strip away everything that blocks us from yeah. that. Yeah. So good. So we've sort of laid out mindfulness, what the what mindfulness is and why should we should do it. Let's talk about the book. You have what, fifty chapters? Yeah. You, you tell us a lot. You give us a lot of information. So <laughs> But they're not lengthy, so if anyone's kind of doing a big heavy gasp. But I love um, how you break it down into homework, play, love. Um, and then the end of the day, the start of the day, and then the end of yeah. the day. So we can just, we can, no matter where we are, we can plug in yeah. and get, get your best advice. Do you want to just give us a couple of little nuggets, sure. maybe? Would that be a good way to start? Yeah, and I, I do love this orientation, um, which really came from the, the vision of, of Hillary Black at, at National Geographic to, to, to take readers through a day. So I really applaud that. And then I laid in... Um, using a famous quote that if we balance the realms of home, love, and work and play, we've really got, you know, that's really the formula for a happy life. Mm-hmm. So um, so let's start with home. You know, for many of us, um, in the morning, it can be very frenetic. You know, if there's little kids at home, or even if there's not, you know, we're kind of flying around and gathering ourselves and getting out the door. And I, you know, the first chapter is one of my favorite, and that's called Wake Up to Joy. And that really comes from the with intention and practice, which are, is positive habits and rituals that we start to weave into our day. We can actually wake up and orient, the, orient our minds to gratitude and joy and appreciation. And that can start even before we step out of bed. So some of us kind of wake up and the first thing we do is reach for our phone and check email. And then we start immediately, you know, content and to-dos are planted in the head. Or um, we wake up and we start like spinning and ruminating on all the things we have to do that day or didn't get done the day before or whatever it might be. So waking up to joy is is actually how to start the day in a very, with with peace and gratitude. Beautiful. Yeah. And I, I love that one. And um, and then there's other other pieces of the the morning section are really about how to weave in um, practices and structures and habits that help you strengthen a positive outlook and 
um, drop into to insight and presence using journaling, or if you're an exerciser in the morning, how you can use exercise as a mindfulness practice. Mm. And for those of us who shower in the morning, how we can bring our five senses into the shower and then convert our shower, which might be, you know, just another task, another to do in the morning into kind of a mini spa where we can be present with aroma and, and the felt sensation of temperature and water and, and all the senses. So then, and that's mindfulness. And, you know, one of the things many people don't realize is that the senses bring us into the present. That's a, you know, a, a secret way to be present in any moment is to use one of your five senses. So right now, in this very moment, give us... Uh, so right now, I'm going to pick up this delicious tea that you made for me. Okay. And as I smell it, as I inhale it, I'm using the sense of smell. I can only smell in the present. I can't smell in the past or the future. So as I do this tiny micro act of smelling... I'm in the present. Or if I sip the tea, the taste of this delicious tea and the blend of herbs is a present moment experience. So I don't have to take out a meditation cushion and get out some beads and light a candle. I can have my morning tea or have my morning coffee and have a moment of mindfulness. I already do that. I got it. <laughs> I'm already check. doing that. Yeah, check. <laughs> I like it. Beautiful. So so there's so much more in that yeah. chapter. And yeah. I, I just love that that you go into such detail. Um, where does all, where does all your, uh, I know you have stories in here and you have research and you back it all up. Like where does, where does, <laughs> where does all this wealth of knowledge come from? Just share with us a little bit about. Um, well, I'm, um, I was so fortunate to be one of the first 30 teachers with Google's Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute. Actually, I should correct that. Um, the Leadership Institute does not belong to Google, but uh, employee 107, Chad Ming Tang, was the person who had the idea to create a wonderful two-day program called Search Inside Yourself for his colleagues at Google. And out of that, you know, incredible program that I still teach around the world, he decided to, with some funding, start an outside institution. So that group was founded by a neuroscientist, Stanford, and some other um, really smart and very plugged in um, researchers. And we were rigorously trained in the science of mindfulness and compassion, that, that cohort of 30. And then those, those training programs continue. And that's kind of where it started. And then um, I went on to become a senior fellow at George Mason's Center for the Advancement of Wellbeing and continue to... Um, to be a student and to be deeply connected to the research that is coming out at a at a at a huge you know very rapid rate now it's re, it's it's really changing year by year. So here's the thing, Lori. As we sit here and talk, I I mean, isn't it just sitting down and shutting up? I mean, how much re, can you just yeah. expound upon that? Like, how much more do we really need to know about mindfulness so that we can begin to live a more uh, intentional and mindful life. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that question. So some people <laughs> think like, isn't, well, let's talk about what the difference between meditation is and mindfulness. Okay. So meditation is, um, is a wide and extensive family of mental training practices or mind body exercises 
to help me both strengthen the circuitry in my mind and my body to be able to focus and sustain attention and regulate emotions and know myself, self-awareness. Um, so meditation are a set of exercises and mindfulness is the outcome. Mm-hmm. So just like sports are a set of exercises and the outcome is fitness. And you could say, well, don't I just have to sit down and eat, you know, one plate of spinach and do a couple push-ups and I'm fit? And you could say, well, maybe, but there's a lot more you could learn and a lot more you could do as a practice. So with mindfulness, there's really a set of um, principles of mindsets or attitudes that we train in. So we train in how we see the world how we see ourselves, how we interact with others. So there's a lot of rich content in all those principles. And I've chosen 10 principles and put them in the introduction of the book. And then I weave those throughout the book. Mm, In addition to that, there's a set of practices. Those are the practical things that I'm actually doing with my mind and body to come into the present, to calm my emotions, to open my heart so I can listen to you, even if I think you are completely wrong about something. So there's practices and there's mindsets. And there is a wealth of content and exercises in that in those domains. Is this something, Lori, that we have lost throughout the years? Like year, years and years ago when we were ancient humans and we lived closer to the earth and we were um there were maybe less people and yeah um did we did do you think we had it then i mean think about like some of the some of the spiritual masters maybe or um the native americans native americans yeah. the um, absolutely the and Buddhists, I, the... I write um if you read you know blurbs about the book or descriptions or things i i talk about this as the intersection of ancient contemplative wisdom and practices with modern neuroscientists, science and positive psychology. So definitely the content of these principles and ways to cultivate awareness and stillness and acceptance and seeing the world as impermanent um, is one of the principles. This is, this is universal law. This is universal truths that have, are practiced across religions and traditions, across geographies, and for for centuries. So you're absolutely right. I think the challenge is that in today's modern world where we sit in windowless rooms and we spend more time indoors, and now we're tempted by smartphones and access to a Netflix movie whenever I want it at my fingertips, mm. It's really hard to go out and take a walk for people and to connect to the wisdom of the trees and to regulate emotions just by being in nature. I have I, th- I have two chapters in the book on getting outside and being in nature. It's so important. So that's just one element mm-hmm. is nature. But you're right. I think we've lost it, and this book is helping us find it again. Good, good. And I, I'm also seeing a movement just in the spiritual communities and in, in um, the mindfulness communities uh, from going from the head to the heart. Yeah. And I know you have a big heart and you're so compassion based. Talk, can you talk about that a little bit? Like how that, how this can help us connect more with our um, 
that that love that is our who we are. I believe we're love, and we are meant so, to connect with each other through our heart centers, not you know through our uh, you know our heads and our intellects and our. Oh, I just love that. I think part of it is I think our western conditioning you know the way we're educated to to learn and memorize and it's very cognitive focused and in our culture here we're very much trained you know kind of from the neck up um that is shifting in schools now but um we're trained in the neck up and we're rewarded with report cards and degrees and job titles and all that stuff for what we know in our heads that's part of it and the other part is we get conditioned, we, we have experiences as kids, and we, we cultivate strategies and ways to protect ourselves, to retreat, or to make up stories about who we are or who other people are. And we get trapped in all that noise, all that head noise. And a lot of, of what I'm sharing in the book and, and in our workshops and retreats is how to drop out of the head and into the body. So um, I spent the the weekend with Richard Strozzi Heckler from Petaluma in his program, which is about embodied leadership. And it's really teaching, using the art of Aikido and bringing the intersection of, of body practices with mindfulness to help us get out of the head into the body. And, and when you talk about the heart, um, that is, I believe too, that we're love. And if we can get out of this, um, you know, all this noise and being the spectator of our thoughts and drop into this place of love, which is we associate with being in our heart, which is in our body, um, then we we start to immediately feel differently. And I, so that sounds really great in theory. What what I done in the book is made, is, is um, shared practical house, two steps of how do you drop out of, from the head into the heart? Like what precisely do you do? You know, so I love that. Yeah, you have I think a whole we need chapter to, on it. Mm. You know, we just need to make that part of how we show up with people. And so, it's interesting. Well, you have a, you have some advice for forgiveness, um, generosity, touch, touch mm-hmm. with presence, um, and then the final uh, section in that love chapter is um, be open to grief. Can you talk about that a little bit? Just because I wrote the book on it. Absolutely. (laughs) You did. Um, And it was interesting. In my original book proposal, I didn't have that chapter. And then I added it later. And both of us um, have the experience of having someone very close to us die. And I've um, one of the stories in that chapter is losing my brother, Johnny, who was my soulmate. And we told everybody we were twins. We were two years apart. And I realized that my training up and up before I lost him, I had been training and practicing in mindfulness for 10 years. And I realized that mindfulness, the ability to recognize my emotions, the tsunami waves of grief that would walk over, wash over me and just recognize them as, okay, here they are. Sadness is here in a big, deep way in this moment and not try to push it away or suppress it or not try to, you know, dive into a bottle of Chardonnay or (laughs) rationalize it or whatever I might, whatever refuge I might look for. And, and, and just to allow that grief to be there. And then 
to use sort of a, a reframing way, a different a perspective shift to say, you know, this deep, and I, I'm just feeling it right now in my body, this, this deep sadness that I feel when I think about losing Johnny is really directly related to the depth of our love. So I started when I would feel that wave wash over me, I would say, oh, there's that love that Johnny and I have together. Here it is right here. I feel it big time. So I started to embrace the sadness as love. And um, that really helped me. And that's why I put that as the final chapter in the love section, because it, it gave me the emotional capacity. And I, I actually tapped into love to navigate the grief. Beautiful. That's, that's very healing, and it goes back to our mindfulness is the first step in releasing pain points. Yeah. So, so there you go. It all comes full circle. Well, so exciting that you have um, so many great ideas for us, and um, you even have – I know a lot of people have have trouble with that bedtime routine oh. and sleep. So many of my yoga students talk about, um, especially at, at a certain age, um, they wake up and they just can't go back to sleep. Yes. Um, that's so not have, uncommon. Yeah, it's not. And um, this, this, these practices can be really helpful. Yeah. Um, do so you I, give I us offer a, a little. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of my favorite. Well, there's actually two that I have. Um, so I have a bed, a chapter on a bedtime routine, and then one called "Ease into Sleep." That's the very last chapter of the book. So um, two that I really love and recommend. Um, one is called the Body Scan. It's a very um, well-known practice where we systematically move through the body, mm-hmm. bringing attention to one part of the body at a time. And it's not a thinking thing. It's really bringing that beam or that flashlight of attention, say, to the top of your head, to your face, to the top of your shoulders, moving down to the chest, to the tummy, to the legs, just slowly. I'm doing it quickly, but slowly bringing attention to each part of the body, seeing what you notice. Um, When I do this with my daughter, we'll even add gratitude to that. Like, you know, thank you, head, for all the thinking you did in middle school today. Um, Mm -hmm. Thank you, feet, for the volleyball practice after school. So we'll, we'll combine a relaxation of each part of the body with gratitude. And that, that giving your mind something to rest on. So the mind is racing. Our mind is wondering 47% of the time. That's back. That's Harvard research. So when we lay down at night, usually it is ping-ponging all over the place, or if we wake up in the middle of the night. So we just use the body scan to systemically give the mind something to rest on and a, a focal point and also relax the body. And then the second practice, do you want to hear that one that I love? Can we just pause for a minute? Yeah. Because the, there's something really magical about that body scan. I do it with my yoga students. I started to say my yoga kids. My yoga students, I have like seniors. And just last night I did a body scan in a chair yoga class. And I could see them just drop <sighs> in. And as soon as you bring your awareness, like you see my shoulder's been bothering me. As soon as I bring my awareness to that shoulder, it just softens. Yes. It's amazing. It's amazing. Just try it. If you guys are listening, just try it. Bring your awareness to just a certain part of the body. Yeah. You notice immediately the the softening. It's a way, it's a self-care mm-hmm. practice too. It's a way to be kind to ourselves. When I, when I guide people to bring um, awareness to the top of the back, the middle back, and then the lower back, 
you know, we say, give your back the kind attention that it deserves. Mm-hmm. And often we'll, we'll bring awareness to the, to the back and then people will notice that there's a big knot that they didn't even know because they're plowing through the day with mm-hmm. the laptop on the shoulder. And so it's also a way to just tune into the body and know and figure out what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So point. yeah, it's a, it is a magical practice. It is. Okay. The other one. Go to the other. And the other one that I love um, comes from a traditional practice called loving kindness meditation. Um, in the corporate workplace, we call it offering kindness. Um, you can't and, call it loving kindness. Yeah, in the it's workplace. it's hard for yeah the senior leaders of the business to sign up for that program, um, <laughs> but once they get there, they love it. But that's really what we're doing. And loving kindness is about um, systematically offering good wishes to to ever widening circles. So you start with yourself, and you can say. Um, and for some people, that's hard. So let's do this one. Let's start with someone that you love, that's very easy to love. Maybe it's a child or a grandmother, or it's not very complicated. And you just bring that person to mind. You see their face in your mind's eye. You imagine them smiling at you. And then you offer them good wishes. May you be peaceful. May you be happy. May you be well. May you be loved. So you offer those and then you offer it to a little wider group, maybe everybody in your family. And then you repeat the phrases and then you go one circle out, maybe everyone in your community or your workplace. And then you can keep going out. And if you're so bold, you can go, you know, I, you can go all the way to, you know, everybody in the whole world, all sentient beings, all animals, all people in the world. Um, and that rhythmic, systematic way of offering kindness not only activates the positive centers of our brain associated with love and belonging and well-being. So we actually, if we were worrying five minutes before, that's activating the negative centers. We actually shift the activity of the brain to the positive. But we open the heart. When you mentioned Mm -hmm. how do you open the heart, this is how you do it. And we just feel good. And if you make those circles, you know, fine enough, then you'll probably drift off to sleep while you're doing right, it. So, right. But it's so nice to drift off to sleep doing that instead of replaying a meeting from earlier that day. Mm-hmm. It's the same principle as praying for someone or yeah. you know, saying your saying your, your prayers. prayers. Yeah. And what I love is that, um, you know, people often bring up, bring up prayer. When I, sometimes when I pray in the evening, um, I pray in a, in a less systematic way. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of different people and thinking of different situations and I'm praying and that can, I can sometimes slip into worry or rumination. I can get into my head. My mind can wander. I'm no longer praying. I'm working out a problem. Um, when I was a kid and we still do this at home, I prayed in a very systematic way in a, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, you know, and then we went through oh, too, each girl. people like in me a too. row, right? Yeah. And we do yeah. <laughs> we do that with Ava. God bless my yes. mommy and That's daddy. it. Yeah. And it's so neat. That's what I'm saying. It's like a coming back to some contemplative practices mm-hmm. because that, you know, there was a lot to that because having that rhythm and that structured way of praying mm-hmm. is actually very calming and helps us stay focused on what we're doing and not have our mind wander all over the place. So prayer will do that too. It's mm-hmm. absolutely and highly recommended. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's a good segue because if someone is listening and they um, belong to a particular religious 
community and mindfulness does not take away from that in no. in so many ways for me it deepens it and we i've taught mindfulness at our church and we've you know that i've noticed that more and more um churches and temples are bringing mindfulness practice into the um into the services yeah it's um i'm i'm a, a student of tara brock and jack cornfield and i was with them in the Redwoods at 1440 Multiversity in November. And we had a topic on prayer in our mindfulness retreat we were doing. And I stood up, I had the mic, and there were 300 people there. And I talked about the intersection of my prayer life and my relationship with God and mindfulness and meditation. Because so many people think that they're not overlapping or that they're different or they're fearful. There's still a lot of people that talk to me that they're fearful that mindfulness is some kind of sect or some kind of thing that will take them away from their walk with whomever they're walking with, depending on their religion. And I stood up and said, actually, um, mindfulness, the capacity to train my attention, to focus on something I want to focus on and sustain it without my mind wandering, um, opening my heart, learning how to notice when I'm judging and to suspend that, that has deepened my ability to to pray. Because when I learned to pray as a kid and I grew up in the church, they never taught us how to pay attention and sustain attention. And they, you know, that's still not something that you know you read in the Bible or the Quran. So this is a supplemental set of skills that that strengthen our capacity to be present. Um, I love that Thich Nhat Hanh wrote a book, um, Living Buddha, Living Christ. And I read that like 20 years mm. ago. And it's they're really complimentary. And I bought a necklace at a Thich Nhat Hanh monastery, a Buddhist monastery. And it says, be still and know, which is a teaching that comes from the Bible. It's a Bible verse. And it's also a Buddhist principle. It's from the Psalms, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, it just occurred to me that we've talked, we've touched on um, mind and how the mind uh, works in the realm of mindfulness. And we've talked about spirit. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about how, um, and you, I'm sure you go over it in here. I'm not sure which chapters it in, but let's talk about the body because I, Happy Healthy You is all about balance yeah. in mind, body, and spirit. So how can mindfulness help us to achieve health in the body we are we mentioned being in the body and you know the body scan and being more aware of the body but you know think think about something like eating um you mentioned showering yeah and you also have a little bit about sex in here so pick your favorite <laughs> pick your favorite oh i think all of those are my favorite <laughs> um you know there's a couple things one Mindfulness is about awareness or paying attention. And I know for me in my past, um, I'm a busy person. I, I enjoy doing a lot of projects. I'm creative. But when I get really busy, I can stop being aware of what my body needs. So mindfulness helps me deepen my self-awareness on how I am resourced or what, what is my energy level in this moment. Do I need to eat something healthy? You know, am I, am I hungry? Am I running on fumes? Am I not getting enough sleep? Am I not, um, am I tight? Am I not stretching out? Do I need to do some yoga? Do I need a hug? Oh, do I need a hug? Which releases <laughs> oxytocin and makes yeah. it, that's, that's one of my favorite actually. <laughs> so mindfulness, A, you know, kind of 
step one, it helps us be really tuned into what our body needs. And and then mindfulness is really about um, being able to be more choiceful. So instead of running on autopilot, I can use that awareness and make better choices. So I might say, gee, instead of um, you know, doing laundry and watching Netflix tonight, I think I'm going to do a half an hour of yoga and I'll stop by the store on the way home and get some healthy food and make a really nutritious dinner and stretch out mm. and then get a really nice, so long, cuddly easier, hug. Are you saying it's much easier with these practices to make those right decisions? Because I think that's what we have the choice. We always have the choice to make, you know, the good decision or the, you know, to buy the pizza or to, I'm not, we, yeah. we eat pizza in my house a lot because yeah. I have a couple of guys had, that really yeah. like it, but there is a choice. We could choose something a little more healthy. And, um, are you saying it's easier to make the, the healthier choice with mindfulness? Well, I, if you learn how to, um, stop and pause mm-hmm. in your day, um, we call that the mindful pause. Or purposeful pause. So now we're getting to the purpose part of the company name, Purpose mm-hmm. Blue. Um, we have to stop and connect to purpose. We have to stop and connect to, to our uh, outcomes that we want in our life or our goals or intentions that are bigger than that moment. Mm-hmm. So in that moment when I'm hungry, it might be really quick and easy or it might be a habit. You know, I've got the pizza guy on, on speed dial. I'm going to call him up. <laughs> so He's going to be here in five right. minutes. Right. He'll say, oh, Laurie, it's you. Boom, here he comes. <laughs> But that's very easy. Some, you know, a lot of my friends, they've got their favorite delivery has their credit card on file. Like it's very easy. Mm-hmm. But mindfulness helps us stop and take that, that little breath, that little pause and check in with ourselves and say, what action right now will keep you closest to your higher, highest ideals or get you closer to your purpose? So if you're, if you're committed to losing weight, if you're committed to living longer or reducing your cholesterol, you got to have that little pause after that craving or after that impulse to make a good choice. That's, that's one of the ways to make a good choice is connecting the decision to something outside of that immediate gratification. Mm, which also goes for addictions of any kind, even, oh, you know. It's huge in addictions. Yeah. yeah. This is, it's all good. It's all good. So what's, what's the big payoff for you, Lori? Like the big uh, payoff for you after all these years of studying mindfulness and really, really going deep. I mean, you, you are the expert, right? So this book, The Mindful Day, if somebody picks up this book and goes through it, they, they are tapping into all your wisdom that you've accumulated over all these years. And with all these great teachers, Pema Chodron, who, Thich Nhat Hanh, Tara Brock, Jack Kornfield, who else? Who yeah, else? no, that those are my, and then the, and then Dan Siegel and Rick Hansen right. and the um, Richie Davidson, the the neuroscientists. So yeah. I'm a student of the science crowd and the um, mindfulness, you know, Buddhist crowd. I kind of bring it all in there. Yeah. So so this is just all all these years that you've been putting all this together, compiling it into this beautiful book with this sunny. Uh, pretty, I, you know, I love yellow. It's my yeah. favorite color. I love your, your cover page, your, um, your book cover. Um, what is the big payoff for you having, uh, after all of this, all of this? Um, gosh, I love that question. Cause a lot of people think it's about like, you know, reducing stress or something. And, and for some people it is, but for me, it's about joy. Mm. So I, I live more and more of my life in, um, in joy. So I'm able to recognize 
when I'm caught up in thinking that's making me miserable or suffer, if I'm, if I've, if the inner critic, you know, is, is, is loud in my head or, or, you know, re- scolding me for a ball that I dropped or a thing, I, a mistake I made, I can hear that more consciously. I'm, I'm more of a witness to the patterns in my mind and my behaviors. And I'm able to meet that, um, not by, not by stuffing down that inner critic, but by just befriending it and just saying, okay, I hear you. Thank you. And just shifting into what's beautiful and what I'm grateful for in the moment. So joy and happiness are skills. They can be learned. We can learn how to shift into happiness and connection in any moment. It's not, it's not due to external things, whether we win the lottery, where we live, what kind of car we drive. It's really due to our capacity to direct the orientation of our mind and heart in any moment. And what I've noticed is I live with more ease, more ease, more grace. I'm more connected to myself and what matters. I'm, I'm, I'm more easily connected to the other people around me. And that's to me what it's all about. Mm. I make choices that, you know, I can, where I can serve others and serving and generosity and compassion are totally connected to well-being. Beautiful. And as I move into my wisdom years, I call them my wisdom years, this is where I want to be, right? And I think so many of us, the baby boomers, the, um, the population that is on the other side of 50, I mean, this is maturity. This is maturity at its best, right? Yeah, Spiritual maturity. So thank you for this book. I'm so excited for it to come out. We still have a few weeks, but we can pre-order it. Pre-orders are so important, Connie. This is my first book. And what I've learned is that these days, it's all about how many people are ordering like right when the book launches. Hmm. So anybody who pre-orders now on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever you like, um, I really appreciate it. Um, And you can join my mailing list at... Um, lauriejcameron.com, L-A-U-R-I-E-J-C-A-M-E-R-O-N, and find out about, you know, pre-order gifts and different things I'm running because, you know, that and Amazon reviews are so important. Oh, so yeah. please, if you get the book, please just drop a line onto Amazon and I, it's just, it's so hard for me to make these requests, but I'm, you know, I'm learning. Yeah. It gets, <laughs> it, it's important because it gets the word out. And also uh, your website, you might want to mention that because you will be doing some retreats and some workshops yes. and you're available to speak on this. So where can they find oh, more information you. about you? Um, at Purpose Blue, P-U-R-P-O-S-E Blue, one word, purposeblue.com. And that's where you can contact me for speaking engagements and um, and retreats and all kinds of experiences, uh, coaching. So I, I just love to bring this to people in wherever they might be, their roles, their companies, their teams, because that's, you know, that's, I'm, that's my mission is to help people live with more ease and more joy. Me too, girl. <laughs> yeah. That's why we connect the way That's we do. That's why we connect. So here's the book, The Mindful Day, Beautiful Cover, Practical Ways to Find Focus, Calm, and Joy from Morning to Evening. So you can just spend your whole day with Lori oh. if you get this book. Thank and you me, so much. Go let ahead. me say one more thing for those of your listeners. I'm sure they're all over the planet. But for those of you who are in D.C. and Maryland, I will be at Politics and Prose on Connecticut Avenue on March 31st. 
and I'll be in Frederick, Maryland at the Curious Iguana oh, on April 3rd. They're doing that. a co event with a meditation mindfulness studio. Very cool. So come see me there. I'd love to meet you and tell me that you are a listener of Connie Bowman. And I'll give you an extra long hug. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I like that. And then maybe we'll put together some kind of a workshop where we have oh, yoga yeah. and, and Connie and I are already planning yeah. <laughs> some kind of special day long retreat. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lori. Yeah. It was such a great, so great to be with you. And we get to finish our tea together. So yeah. Awesome.